Welcome to the Friday Night Clive podcast with me, Clive Payne. In this podcast, we look back at the amazing charities, organisations and people we have chatted to over the past few months, all of whom have interesting and important stories to tell. It's hard to imagine a child suffering with a brain tumour, but sadly it does happen, and perhaps more than we think. What support is available to children after their diagnosis, during their treatment and beyond, and who provides this support? With me on the line is Rebecca Wood, the Chief Executive of Tom's Trust, to tell us more about the work that they do to help children with brain tumours, and she's on the line now. Good evening, Rebecca. Hello there, Clive. Thank you for joining us this evening. Um, First of all, give me a little bit of background around Tom's Trust and what you do. Yes, um, it's it's a fantastic little charity. um, And it was founded in 2011 uh, after the death of uh, Tom himself. Um, Sadly, he died from a brain tumour, age only nine. And... his parents vowed that nobody would go through what they'd gone through unsupported anymore. So it provides clinical psychologists and emotional support from diagnosis for children through the treatment and into adulthood and for their families, which is incredibly important. Because as you can imagine, it's an incredibly traumatic experience, not just for the child, but for the whole family. Well, I saw Deb, who is Tom's mum, on BBC Breakfast earlier on this month, and she was talking, as you're aware, to John Kay and Sally Nugent, and I was transfixed by this interview, and I thought, what a really, really valuable charity um, that you are and, and, and the work that you do. But why would you say this type of support isn't already available to children and their families? I think um, because um, it... The NHS obviously has limited resources, so um, there's some uh, very um, little support at the, at the acute phase. So just as a, as, as a child's diagnosed, if you're lucky and you're in a big enough centre, um, big enough children's hospital, you'd probably get some psychological support, which would be shared amongst all children with cancer. Um, and if you're in a smaller hospital, you you might get even less than that. Um, but it's it may just you may just get a little bit of help, um, and then it, you certainly won't get it afterwards. Um, so the whole idea of putting clinical psychologists into hospitals, who would be trained in neuropsychology, so they could help the child to go through all of the things they need to go through. So we talk about um, the treatment, the trauma, and um, the the after effects of that treatment, because it's it's. an incredibly brutal regime and I think that's what's important to understand but also our brains are so complex that having an injury which is really what a brain tumor is early on in your life has massive implications for you um, in in all sorts of ways but also for the whole family you know we, we talk about with our children they have to learn to deal with their new normal it's a really different life for them and their families to what they expected, and that's really traumatic. 
and that that was the challenge, I guess, for Tom as he was only nine, as as you say, but also for for siblings as well because they find themselves perhaps being you know confused or or not understanding what their brother or sister is going through, or you know where they perhaps may be a single parent family, then that sibling or siblings find themselves having to step up and take more of a dare I use the word senior role if you like and look after their brother and sister. So support like this is is absolutely invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the whole um, dynamic of the family while the child is ill is that all of the concentration has to be on that child and the parents are just trying to get through that and trying to cope with that. And for their siblings, um, they're often, and we've had lots of messages about this, um, they're often unintentionally, of course, have to be sort of left to it. Their parents are trying desperately to cope with a sick child and the, the well children just are left to get on with it. Um, and one of the reasons that we, we launched this sibling toolkit, which you saw Deb's talking about, was that we, we recognised that. That's exactly what happened with Tom's sisters, um, that they were lucky they had grandparents who could try and step in and help. Um, but not everybody has that. And actually, it is really traumatic for that for, for the rest of their family. And a lot of children say they feel really guilty. They, they don't want to call attention to the fact that they're feeling really neglected because they recognise all the time that this child is ill. And, of course, it's really frightening for them. Often they can't ask the, the question they would like to ask because they don't want to upset anybody anymore. And they're terrified that this child is going to die, their brother or sister is going to die, but also they may well have to cope with exactly that happening. I think it's also really important to understand with brain tumours that for a lot of children, the treatment or at least the scams go on for years. So you may have to go back um, and every year. In fact, one, one of our uh, children has always talked about how traumatic he finds his birthday because unfortunately his annual scan falls around the, his birthday so um, for him it's always the, the fear that a tumor has come back um so there's always that worry um and that's the thing if, if, if cancerous growth and it's also a really you know very little known uh, idea that lots of brain tumors uh, are cancerous of course but some are what is called benign um, and really that just means non-cancerous but they are incredibly damaging in their own right um, so because of the nature of where they are and even if you undergo um, having them removed they're often in such delicate positions it's really difficult to, to remove all of the tumors so they may grow back so for families it's a really long-term difference of fear of we, we often call it scanxiety so this thing about having to have scans um undergoing really brutal treatments in terms of um you know painful uh and, and you know that's a terrible thing to have to try to persuade a child to, to keep going with really painful horrible treatment that makes them feel really sick a lot of our kids also have the the problem that they struggle to eat because you associate food with being sick while you're going through treatment. So there's, there's so much going on that needs a clinical psychologist to step in and do their magic, which is to help a child understand what they're going through, to find ways to cope with what they're going through, and then to learn to accept as they get older that this is their new normal. And there'll be lots of differences, as I say, in those lives. And um, for parents too, you know, much more care for siblings because 
they've lost the brother and sister they knew and it's now a very different circumstance especially where there's some severe disabilities there and so it, it's it's a lot for a family to cope with as you say tom had sisters and uh, obviously you know you know deb so what from your understanding what was life like for deb and the rest of the family during tom's treatment process <laughs> Uh, it was, it, they spent their life in hospital, often for um, a really significant period because obviously when you're undergoing treatment for cancer, as those, as those people who've had cancer know that your immune system may, may be really suppressed, so you have to be very careful. Uh, and so his sisters were in hospital a lot with him, um, but also then uh, with grandparents a lot. Um, and also that... For Debs and Andrew, what they really struggled with, they struggled to tell Tom what was going on, and they really struggled when they were told that he was dying, how to talk to him about dying. That was really hard. Certainly how to talk to his sisters that he wasn't going to be there anymore when they themselves could hardly process that. It was so traumatic. Um, and, it, you know, for them, they just wanted to know that nobody else would have to, to do that. And, you know, we've been really on that trajectory and determination that that will happen in terms of being able to spread our services uh, and to raise the money to spread those services because we know at the moment it is a real lottery as to how much help you get mm -hmm. and whatever you get is not going to be much if it hasn't got tom's trust there what is the what is life like for the family now and the, uh, for Deb's and uh, for Deb's family, um, yeah, they, they've they've they're all getting grown up, um, and um, yeah, you know they they are happy, but they they remember that time. There's always, you know, a place at the table that should have been filled you know, mm. for, for anyone who's undergone a bereavement, particularly a bereavement of a child. It's not something you ever get over, um, and so that's always a hole in your life. It does change things for you forever. Um, and I think the thing about Debs and Andrew that was so impressive is that even throughout that, they, they were desperate to make some kind of positive gesture out of that in order to, com to commemorate Tom and what a lovely little boy he'd been and, and what he should have been able to be. They wanted to help other families. And, and for that through bereavement, sometimes we, we're, you know, a third, sadly, a third of children um, die uh, who get brain tumours and, and that's really high it's a it's a it's it's a lot of, of, of cancer deaths in, amongst children it is unfortunately mm -hmm. with brain tumours so um it, it's we know we have a lot of families to help with bereavement um and that's really traumatic but also that we have a lot of families who need to cope through that acute phase of a child being ill to need who need information who needs somebody to hold their hands just to keep them going uh, through through all of that treatment to enable them to face their child and to try and bring that child the strength that it needs to be the parent and to, to also cope with those siblings and to make sure that other people can cope with it. But as I say, it's also the long-term effects. Mm -hmm. you know, the brain tumour, long-term effects is, is, you know, children's thinking skills when they try to go back to school, um, you know, they're way behind their peers. Um, and for quite a lot of them, they've got that long-term effect of they, they're, they're never going to actually achieve quite what they would have done, um, even if they're relatively well, because such a lot has happened. 
but for a lot of them, they continue to suffer from fatigue, um, to, to feel, um, you know, to have that trauma in the background as well, um, which, again, it's really important, that ability to be able to go out, to, to move on uh, and try to get beyond that stage whilst dealing with a lot of disability for a lot of our children. For anybody listening whose uh, child or children are going through this process at the moment or about to embark upon it, um, can you give me some examples of the support that Tom's Trust offers? I know you've talked about the toolkit and I want to explore on that a, a little bit later, but um, just give me some idea of, you know, if somebody approached you, uh, how you can help and support them. Yeah, so um, Tom's Trust is, uh, our aim is to be throughout the UK. At the moment, we've got a number of services that we're able to offer. We've been gradually spreading. So we have one in the northwest at Alderhay, one in the northeast um, at Newcastle, uh, and in Cambridge, we've we've successfully had our um, service, it was so good, taken on by the NHS, and we're now doing extra work there on transition, so helping children to move into adult services, um, and uh, you know, particularly, again, with all of the things that they need help with as they continue to age. So it's, it's, a, an accum- it's a cumulative number, the, the children with... Uh, brain tumours who've had brain tumours because they continue to need that help along with the numbers that are diagnosed every year um, and we're also we also have a family liaison coordinator who's beginning it's just begun thanks to some funding from the lottery um, we've made managed to put that post in place and that's to help with the sort of social elements it's really lonely having uh, a child, being a family that's been affected by a, a child with a brain tumour, whether you're bereaved, which people find very difficult to talk about, or where you have a child that's really ill and other people's children have moved on, so you've lost those friendships through school, a lot of them. Um, so it, it can be really, really lonely. So it's not a particular club that you want to belong to, but actually being able at least to have other people in that club who know exactly what you've gone through is really important. So the social element is is, is a great comfort, actually, for, for, for people, just to be able to have other people to talk to who understand what they've gone through. Now, surviving a brain tumour can leave children with lifelong disabilities. Now, you've talked about some of the things that children experience when they go back to school, um, you know, from a psychological perspective, but can you expand on, on the lifelong disabilities? Yeah, so, so for, you know, for, for a lot of children, it's particularly, you know, the impact of such a big trauma on the brain. And, and as I say, our treatments for brain tumours are still pretty brutal. Mm. Um, so th- there's a lot of disability as a result of that. And particularly um, things like, you know, a sight may be affected, mobility may be affected, um, and, and often is depending on where the tumour was located, but also on what has been the effect of the treatment and at what age the child's had it as well. Um, speech may be affected, um, but particularly it's often thinking skills, so the ability to keep up um, and with schoolwork and the ability to keep up with peers may mean that when that suffers, that the child... Um, or indeed by then maybe becoming a young person, you know, going into their teens, is that actually they may have very few friends um, and because they've lost their original friends, they don't have the newer friends. And, and in fact, one of our children, um, Camille, who's such a 
gorgeous girl. She's now 16. Her cognitive abilities are probably about of an eight-year-old. Mm. Uh, and she's been fortunate that she's never been bullied. And we find that, you know, it's always horrendous to think that a child's been through all of that and then they get bullied, but it does happen. But for her, she's not bullied, but she is ignored um, because people don't really see her as relevant. You know, she's not part of their group. Um, and so for her, she would really like the chance to make friends and she would like um, the chance to be more independent. And I think that's pretty common, you know, amongst children who've um, recovered from a brain tumour but are left with those lifelong disabilities. And also, you know, what are they going to do for later? And, and for parents, it's sometimes allowing them a bit more independence is really hard mm-hmm. because they've been through this terrible fright of... of thinking you're going to lose your child and then trying desperately to keep them going about worrying about things so they tend to be you know very much wrapped in cotton wool so being able to move on with your life and achieve things and do things that you want to do and and uh go in go into further education if your cognitive abilities allow that think about what career you're going to do being able to move on with your life can be really really hard now, you're a charity. How are you funded? You mentioned the lottery a moment ago, but that can't be your only source of funding, surely? No, we raise all of the money uh, that we need to, to operate every year. So that's that's kind of our limiting factor. Mm. Uh, when we go into a new centre, we have to be able to raise enough um, to be able to put those in place because we've got... We like to put one or two clinical psychologists at least in some of the bigger centres for all the hay. We have three, um, so we need it to be able to provide a service. And we've been we've been fortunate. We've had um, some charitable trusts who've given us money because they recognise that what we do is incredibly important. We've had some uh, other donors, and we've had some fantastic you know people fundraising and uh, uh, getting sponsorship for runs and doing all sorts of things for us. So that's been brilliant. But we, it is a constant battle uh, in order I to bet. raise enough money yeah. um, because, it, it, as it is for lots of charities, it's just we know we need to raise a certain amount to be able to afford that service. And when we go into a place, the last thing we want to do is to withdraw that service. What we're trying to do is raise enough to make sure that we can do it for a number of years. And then we try to persuade, as we did in Cambridge, persuade the NHS to take on that service because they recognise the huge value that's going on uh, in in keeping those children going so that we can then you know we've got more money again to be able to operate new services but we've spread um into those three services we we're hoping to go into oxford this year which will be then south central um and then um but but we'll also be putting out a call for new centers in the hopes that we can then fund another two over the next couple of years so um you know maybe birmingham will apply and uh maybe um uh you know for the future we Mm -hmm. would hope to see that we also were very lucky though that we have um the neuro oncology special interest group um where we sort of make use of that group and treat it as our network as well thomas trust network and what we do with that is we we put some money into that to help with things like training so it's just constantly raising practice standards so that clinical psychologists can learn from each other in bigger centers for instance can can help train smaller centers so that they've got 
more tools in their armory to help that child with a brain tumour. And that's really helpful to be able to do that. And also to get them to collaborate on things like research. So one of the pieces of research that we funded, for instance, was to, to fund some work on a drug called methylphenidate, um, which was already used for children with uh, ADHD. Uh, and uh, we looked at, um, with the researchers, we looked at using that to help with thinking skills for children who'd had a brain tumour. And for some children, that was really beneficial. It helped them to get over the fatigue, helped them to concentrate, um, which meant that they could do better at school, but also do better socially and with friends. And those things are such a key part for children growing up, you know, to have that mm -hmm. ability to concentrate both with friends and in school. One thing I was particularly impressed with was the sibling toolkit. Now, you touched on that earlier on, but uh, tell me more about that. Yeah, so, so that was, um, uh, it, it, it was from a, a post we funded in Newcastle uh, and led by um, Dr. Sarah Verity, uh, who's a neuro-oncologist there. And she mentioned to us that she would love uh, to be able to produce a sibling toolkit. And this was specifically um, resources so that children whose um, sibling had had a brain tumour um, would get the help that they needed, not from their parents, because we all recognise that their parents are concentrating on the child with a brain tumour, and they have to. There's no way around that. But the idea of a sibling toolkit was it was recognised that there are lots of children um, who have adults in their life who could step in and help with lots of little pockets of time and help and support uh, and that that would make a huge difference um, to the lives of those siblings and so for instance a kind teacher um, who's got a little bit of time and able to to recognize that and give it just a, a talking space to that child um, neighbors and friends and grandparents who um, could step in for instance to make sure that that child still goes to scouts is able to go to their swimming lessons um, and I think a lot of the barriers to that were, was that for a lot of adults, they wanted to help, but they didn't know how to, and a real fear that they were going to say the wrong thing, or how do I talk about this? What happens if the child wants to talk, ask me questions about what's happening with their sibling? What, you know, what do I say? The toolkit is brilliant because it has lots of resources that help people to talk the child and they'll even give proper examples of conversations or questions you can ask to help that child to talk about what's happening to them and how they feel about it um, and because it's designed by clinical psychologists they've used a lot of the things the techniques and tools they've shared those to, to show how you can talk to that child and so it gets over that fear factor and it allows lots of people to be able to step in now, we've had huge interest in this, hundreds of downloads already. It's free on our website, tomstrust.org.uk, and you can just download it. You, um, for us, we are really keen to spread it. Lots of the um, cancer charities, Cancer Research UK, has very kindly put it on their website as well. Um, so we want to, it, it, although it was originally... Uh, thought of us for children with brain tumours we recognise straight away in the discussions that actually this is for every child uh, who had cancer and their siblings so that 
those siblings could get the help they needed. And it was because it was this recognised gap, we felt it was absolutely vital. So we were able to fund that. We fundraised for it, we funded it, and we got a number printed, which has been great. But actually, this downloadable version is brilliant because it has all sorts of extra resources mm. attached to it. As I say, lots of games, all sorts of other things. So we've, we've managed to spread it amongst lots of interest from teachers, which is brilliant, um, but also um, nurses, school nurses, and um, grandparents. And we've had the most phenomenal social media response from people who grew up uh, with a sibling who'd had a brain tumour and who's been so open with us in sharing how they felt and saying they just wish this had existed for them because they'd had a really miserable childhood and, and the thought that somebody could have stepped in and would have understood how to step in, understood what they were going through, would have been incredibly helpful. So we really hope this is transformational for um, the siblings of children with uh, brain tumours in getting them some of the help that they need to just cope while their parents have to be preoccupied with the child who's ill. I am mindful of the time, but I do want to talk to you about Tom's Trust five-year strategy. What's that all about? Ah, oh, well, well, so um, my past as uh, as a charity director is um, I've been in lots of different charities, and that's always been my aim. You need a strategy, you need a map, and for us, as soon as I came into Tom's Trust, I said, I think, you know, we've got to have this strategy and work out where we're going from here and what we're aiming for. So off, the first point of our strategy is obviously new centres, so new, new services, so putting in clinical psychologists, it's the core of what we do, uh, into different areas so that all of the children, because there are massive areas around children's hospital, um, so that all of those children get to benefit from a clinical psychology service that will be able to help them. But we also wanted to be able to give out much more information. So the launch of our information stream with things like the Sibling Toolkit, um, help for things like bereavement, which is, again, done through our clinical psychologists, um, so helping the family after a bereavement, um, but also a family liaison coordinator, so this idea of being able to have social links and a young ambassador program helping youngsters who've gone through a brain tumour and sometimes they're, they're siblings who fundraise for them to have that sort of sense of achievement, that way that we can celebrate what they're achieving and, and how brilliant they are to have got through that. But also they're just so brave. Lots of adults would really struggle with some of the treatment they've had to go through and yet, you know, they, they get through it, they've, they've um, you know, they're struggling on uh, often with quite bad health problems but they are amazing so we wanted to be able to do something with them uh, and this network which is um, it's so important to be able to spread uh, everything that we do in terms of training but also um, it, this collaboration on research and um, being able to look at uh, you know how we can improve symptoms how we can make better quality of life so survivorship after um, tumours and after treatment so that um, we look at you know how can we improve life for, for those for those children both through research through services and through better ways of working how can we find out more information please rebecca um, if you go on Tom's Trust's website, it's all on there, um, tomstrust.org.uk. Uh, and as I say, lots, lots of free information and free resources. Um, and um, it, you'll be able to see whether Tom's Trust yet covers your area. Um, but um, it, 
we also have lots of people in different areas who fundraise for us or, you know, on behalf of families that are in their own area. And for us, our key bit is we want to get as far through the UK as fast as we can to help those families because we... It, it's it's really for us heartbreaking to know that if we had a clinical psychologist in an area we'd be able to help those children and for us the worst thing is when we have families contacting us saying is Tom's Trust in our area because we're desperate and to say we'll try and refer you to wherever we can but we're not yet in your area so we want to be able to do that all the way through the UK. Rebecca Wood, Chief Executive from Tom's Trust, thank you very much for talking to Friday Night Live. That is your lot for this episode. You can catch the programme live every Friday night on Black Country Radio from 6 o'clock p.m. And if you like our podcast, please subscribe by heading to blackcountryradio.co.uk forward slash podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. See you very soon. This is a Black Country Radio podcast presented by me, Clive Payne, and produced by Andy Caddick.